Hello and welcome back to Liddy Learning with Lauren. So today we're going to be touching on some more controversial topics that have to do a lot with um, gender, race, and sexuality within contemporary ballet. Um, all these topics are kind of being talked about within um, the ballet industry at the moment, um, and it can be a source of like contingency and other um, types of things like that. So we're going to take this up to episode to unpack some of that, and I'm going to share some of my personal um, opinions and just observations on that. So first I'm going to touch on race within ballet. So if you've ever gone to a ballet or even just watched, um, you know, clips of ballets or seen pictures of ballerinas, it's probably safe to say that they were um, white individuals. Ballet definitely has a strong um, preference for, you know, European and white skin-toned individuals. And we're going to go ahead and break down kind of why that is. Unfortunately, ballet um, has some very racist stereotypes within it. It was born out of, um, you know, European and Eurocentric ideas, which we've discussed in previous episodes, which gave it a lot of, you know, very interesting and like, um, you know, flourishing like courtly aesthetics to it, which is obviously has been pleasing for, um, you know, years of audiences to see. Um, but with that, it kind of um, made itself into a cast mold that has not allowed um, African-American dancers to participate in literally due to their skin color. And in full disclosure, as a um, white dancer myself, I don't think I can fully speak for or even try to speak for the African-American community um, in regards to these stereotypes and how they're affected by it. But I can go ahead and relate to what I've learned through my readings that have taken accounts um, from African-American dancers and how these stereotypes fit within their community um, and within the ballet community as well. So our reading discussed four different concepts that African-American dancers tended to deal with um, in the ballet community. And I think these are so important to highlight because as a dancer myself, I've obviously been aware that, you know, just the racism within ballet and the, you know, blocking of African-American dancers being able to be in ballets and portray, you know, all the classic themes and all of that. But I never truly understood even the stereotypes and the issues that existed within that um, behind just the lens of racism. There's a lot more intricate things that uh, get mixed in there. So I'm going to go ahead and touch on what I learned from the reading. So the first concept that was mentioned in the reading is the idea of the double consciousness that African-American individuals experience within ballet. So the double consciousness is kind of a split between um, needing to be grounded in European culture and Eurocentric ideology, which, you know, ballet is very attuned to, while also trying to maintain their identity within the African-American community and just upholding their, um, you know, pride in that community. So um, there was definitely a source of contingency between those two things. Um, which I feel like, um, as I understood it at least, kind of pointed a, you know, really um, back into like racism and slavery because, you know, we can't really hide the fact that, uh, you know, Eurocentric white ideology has always been 
kind of set on a pedestal along with, you know, dance forms like ballet that we've discussed previously, whereas, you know, African-American communities and ideologies and even like spirituality um, and, you know, African forms of dancing have been put and labeled as lower forms, which we have mentioned a little bit previously. Um, the reading explained this a little bit better as in whiteness became identified with all that is like civilized, virtuous, um, and beautiful, while blackness in opposition was all that was lowly, sinful, and ugly. So that's obviously um, kind of a dichotomy and a weird, uh, well, not weird, but a hard place to find a balance between um, when those communities are so pitted against each other. So this kind of leads into our next two concepts. Um, which were colorism and controlling images. I've kind of grouped these together because I understood them better um, together in a sense. So these two concepts kind of speak to the color division within the African-American community. Obviously, um, they're all different shades of skin tones and the reading kind of related the fact that the lighter skin tone that an African-American individual had, um, the easier it would be for them to pass um, and kind of make it as a ballerina within, you know, this very Western um, art form. Um, so this, um, there's actually stereotypes based around it, which is called the tragic mulatto, um, meaning this is an African-American person that uh, resembles a, you know, white Western standards of beauty the most. They typically had lighter skin. Um, it also, the book also mentioned um, they were typically born to say like a african-american uh, mother and a white father so they'd have lighter skin there um and they were normally very um disconnected from the black community uh because they were labeled as um desiring to be accepted within white society so it marginalized them within their community even though that they were um given kind of a pass and an opportunity to get into the ballet world. So that kind of just highlights, I think that the tragic Milata very, um, highlights the strife and the division within the African American community really well. And finally, the last concept um, was color casting, which is pretty self-explanatory, but an interesting note that I wrote down while reading was that color casting can be a system of privileges for lighter skinned over darker skinned. Um, directors or choreographers who are casting can, you know, essentially have an excuse, if that's what you really want to call it, um, or, a, you know, validation for choosing lighter or skinned or just, you know, white people um, for roles and using that, you know, the um, character they're casting for as an excuse to not cast um, darker skinned individuals, which honestly, I think is just um, kind of a way to get around racism. Like you, you know, they couldn't call it racism. It was, you know, oh, we're, you know, casting for this role. So therefore it is perfectly fine. So now that we've highlighted, um, kind of a lot of issues that, uh, exist for African-American, um, dancers within the ballet community, I wanted to highlight some things that are actually being done about it. So one of those is, was the creation of the Dance Theater of Harlem, um, which existed to educate and train um, and be a space for dancers of 
or ballerinas of color um, to, you know, come and take part in the ballet community as well, since um, they had such a hard, nearly impossible time uh, getting into ballet otherwise. Um, we did watch um, some short interviews about Arthur Mitchell, who created the Dance Theater of Harlem. Unfortunately, I don't really have a whole lot of time to go fully into that. Um, I would definitely suggest looking up the Dance Theater of Harlem if you have time. But what I wanted to highlight was that the Dance Theater of Harlem um, ended up, you know, being um, a company that, you know, still around today, um, kind of took ballet and extended it into the African-American community and even um, started trying to make it more relevant to them. So an example of this um, that was mentioned in the reading um, is the Creole Giselle. Um, so they took the classical story of Giselle and made the storyline a little bit more relevant for their community. So the only problem with this that the reading pointed out was that it reinforces the double consciousness and colorism. I was kind of surprised about this, when it, but it explained it as uh, the Creole Giselle preserves the paradigm that excludes an African-American ballerina from being Giselle, um, because Giselle is kind of the embodiment of the white ultra-femininity. Um, and changing that, um, you know, to fit uh, the Creole Giselle just reinforced uh, ideas of colorism, really, and the fact that people believe um, African-Americans are incapable of portraying a, you know, white or, you know, Western Eurocentric type of plotline in a ballet. I honestly wish I had loads more time because I could probably talk for quite a while um, on what we discussed and read for the class on this topic. Um, another theme that we did talk about was the difference in experiences between male African-American uh, dancers in ballet and female African-American dancers in ballet. Um, and kind of the, you know, difference in um, getting into the industry that they faced. Uh, one thing about male dancers I found was that looking into it, I was like, you know, I don't think I've ever seen an African-American prince uh, in a classical ballet. I honestly can't remember the only time I've seen a performance um, that even had a male, uh, like a black male dancing in it was um, Swan Lake and he was the villain um, in it, which I kind of looked a little bit more into that and found that stereotypically uh, black men, uh, if they do play a role in a ballet, it is the villain. Um, so that kind of just, I feel like really drives forward uh, the stereotype and really speaks to um, even maybe how they're seen in our society, not just in ballets. I think it translates and goes both ways, really, unfortunately. And speaking of men in ballet, this is kind of a good segue into more gender and sexuality issues within ballet. Um, so our next uh, series of reading was called Queer Swans, um, and it covered Ballet Trocadero, which is an all-male ballet company that um, performs ballets in drag. So to start our conversation about this reading, we talked about um, what the author defined queer as, um, which 
It mentioned that queer can be a verb, a noun, or an adjective, which I found interesting. So queer is a verb that we talked about, uh, means to skew or to thwart. Um, Some other definitions that we pointed out were queer being anything that's at odds with the norm, um, and then its association with the word campy. So I had actually not heard the word campy previously, but um, its definitions can include being an impar- being a parody, an exaggeration, um, uh, being fabulous, and having a lot of irony. Um, in this situation, the um, reading kind of described it as the action of doing one's gender as opposed to being one's gender. So, and this is all important within the context of ballet because within this um, era of contemporary ballet, not only are we seeing um, the limits starting and the stereotypes starting to be pushed as far as race goes, but also as far as gender and the representation of sexuality goes. Um, so if you remember in previous episodes, we really kind of honed in on the gender roles that are, you know, stereotypical and known to ballet. Some examples of that are um, basically all the storylines involve um, plots that have a, you know, lead female and lead male. There's always some kind of love story um, that's, you know, represented through their pas de deux, dancing together. Um, and there's, you know, different rankings within the ballet. You have your female soloist, you have your male soloist, and then you have your corpse de ballet. And what we're seeing um, in today's contemporary world is that the problem with this, um, with these kind of gender roles in ballet and this very set way of doing ballet is that it's not inclusive of, you know, non-binary or even of, um, you know, individuals who would just prefer to portray you know, um, a gender that maybe um, others don't think they can portray. For instance, the Ballet Trocadero. As I stated previously, all-male company that does ballet and drag. So they are interesting because they perform, you know, classics like Swan Lake, for example. Um, And the company members will kind of shift between uh, performing um, in parody mode, like as a ballerina and, you know, as a male dancer and portraying the story in a very, very different way. And along with that, um, the whole ballet itself and what Ballet Trocadero usually does is make um, these classics into a ballet and kind of essentially bring attention to and poke fun at the gender and like sexuality stereotypes that exist in ballet. Um, To do this, um, the men are actually trained on point and they do it very well even though it's um, very comical, we got to watch one of uh, their clips of them performing a famous scene from Swan Lake. And um, they literally came in, um, you know, to the scene, kind of tripped into place. Um, and, the, you know, you can hear the audience laughing and stuff like that. So that just, you know, goes to further uh, relate their sense of par- parody and irony within that, that, you know, they're capable of doing the classics and the roles and stuff, but they're going to point out the fact that um, they're essentially made to seem like they can't or that it would be weird that they can't or something of that. Um, And sort of a light bulb moment for me was the fact that even just these men putting on um, tutus and point shoes is instantly, you know, considered drag. It's considered, you know, these male individuals dressing um, as the female role. Um, 
So that just, you know, goes to show how even the costuming and the footwear within ballet is also gendered um, and very stereotyped to a, you know, certain and very um, precise image. This all kind of led into a big discussion um, for us about how ballet um, can either advance to include more non-binary um, and, you know, reciprocal ideas of sexuality or um, if it truly cannot. Um, and just some of what my thoughts are, are that um, in order for ballet to move forward and be more inclusive, we would have to um, change a lot of um, the way we train ballet dancers, um, the way we cast ballet dancers, and whether or not we, um, how we continue with the classics, or if we just make new ballets going forward. Um, as far as training goes, I've been in situations where females are told to do, um, you know, version A, and males are told to do version B, which usually caters, you know, Women will do things like Petit Allegro, which are smaller jumps, and men will do, you know, the bigger Grand Allegro, um, which is, again, you know, just bigger jumps. There's, you know, gendered movements, so to speak, which, you know, makes it nearly impossible to take the gendering out of ballet when even the steps are supposedly catered towards um, and favoring one gender over the other. I also think we would have to let go of the different roles. I talked about it in an episode um, that covered classical and romantic ballet, but we started to see ballet take on um, different roles and rankings within companies. You know, you'd have your male, your female leads and female and male soloist and the corpse de ballet. Um, and we kind of related this back to other types of dancing, like modern dance, for example. You don't have that normally, if at all, in a modern company. You just have, you know, your your company members, your dancers. It's not like, oh, and this is our lead male modern dancer and our lead female dancer. You just don't hear of that and see that. Um, so I think the structuring of ballet companies and of, you know, the performances themselves would have to be changed as well. Um, and this kind of also relates into how the classics can be portrayed. So uh, companies like Ballet Trocadero have obviously um, successfully um, kind of changed them up by making parodies of them, but um, my thought is like, is it truly um, possible to take a classic and make it truly non-binary or, you know, gender inclusive, or would we just have to make new ones? And I feel to some extent that we would honestly have to make new ones and push um the form forward because these classics are holding on to an era and honoring an era that was, you know, centered around the, you know, Eurocentric ideologies and these gender roles um, and all of that. So I think it's somewhat possible, but at the same time, it would just, in my mind, make more sense to just go about ballet in a new way, really, you know, take the steps and take what we have codified as far as steps go, you know, like what tendus are, what plies are, what, you know, an arabesque is, take that. Um, but let go of the other codified things about this technique, which are what is inherent to each gender, how ballets are structured and, you know, how the companies um, are kind of ranked themselves. But yeah, that is kind of a very brief overview on my thoughts about uh, race, gender, and sexuality within ballet. I could literally go on forever, but um, and I'm definitely still kind of drawing up opinions and 
learning new things about it myself, but that's a good basis for what we at least talked about this week.